Good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. I love rainy days. Pastors really do. We figure you've got nothing else to do. You can't put out your pine straw, so might as well come to church. I'm just kidding. Welcome all of you who are watching us in person or online. We continue a series in prayer, and uh, if you've been with us at all, this is a little different kind of prayer series than we've done in the past. We've talked about prayers in the past, dangerous prayers, be careful what you pray. We've talked about uh, uh, the types of prayers that are in the Bible. This series focuses more on prayer as a habit, prayer as a a, a discipline, prayer as a, a practice that actually grows our faith because it's hard. And uh, so we've, we've talked about, and when you pray, as a, a part of the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and when you pray, and we're going to deal with another one today, and when you fast. Now, fasting is a little different from praying. There's, fasting is doing without something. In this case, food, doing without food. And, and uh, the term fasting has also been applied to doing without other things, doing without social media, doing without television, doing without a hobby or a sport, doing without uh, coffee, doing without whatever. With the idea, the, the Hebrew word for it is the word psalm, T-S-O-M. It literally means to cover your mouth, you know, shut off the intake. The, the, the word in the New Testament has more to do with self-denial or, or choosing to, uh, to do without something for a purpose, uh, for a reason, and as we'll talk about in just a little bit, for a season. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about focus. Last Sunday night in my small group, we were talking about the sermon, which is always awkward when the small group talks about the sermon when the pastor's part of the small group. But anyway, they, uh, they don't pull punches. They, they tell me what they really think. And, and our, our topic was focus. And we got on the, the idea of prayers and, and, and whether we're focused. And last week we talked about crisis, right? This week you got an email each day talking about uh, the, the crisis experience of one of the pastors and how uh, prayer guided through that experience and so forth. But, but it occurred to me that in all four of the messages that are in this series, sort of the the, the, the fulcrum, the, 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 the point is, is focus. So in crisis, we focus more, right? When, we're, when we get the bad news, when, we, when we're in a situation where we feel like we've lost control, we're a lot more focused in our prayer. We, we have a, a laser-sharp sense of why it is that we're praying. Today, we'll talk about fasting. And doing without something, uh, uh, my, my experience is that when my stomach growls, it lets me know that, that I am fasting and, and, and that's a sort of a call to prayer. I, I get it. That's just my call to prayer. Your stomach's growling. And when we, when we are doing without something that kind of makes us twitch when we do without it, whether it's uh, social media or food, it's, it's sort of that, that, that reminder, that, that focus that we are called to pray. Then it occurred to me that when we are talking next week about this thing called intercession, how we come before the Lord and, and pray for others, that's about focus. The, the topic in my small group was about lists. 
uh, some of you know that I have lists and I pray with lists. And, 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 and in our small group, we, we started talking about whether that's sort of cheesy to pray with lists. Is that too structured? Is that uh, too uh, uh, much of a, a formula when you, when you go down a list? Or, or, or some of you are, have come from traditions where you pray the rosary to let you be reminded of the things that you want to pray for. And so we, we kind of had a, a, a discussion about whether or not lists were okay. And, and it occurred to me that when we intercede for others, when, when I write down what I hear from you, or when I write down uh, uh, the things about my family, when I write down the names of, of couples that are, are getting ready to get married or families that are grieving, when I write it down, I, I, I'm more structured and more able to remember it. It, it was about focus. And I said, well, God, that's three out of four. So in crisis, we focus. When we fast, we focus. When we intercede, we focus. And the last one that we're going to do is solitude where we begin to teach ourselves not just to say things to God, but also to listen to what He says to us. And it, it sort of hit me, and, and this is sort of how the sauce is made. Uh, I, I, as, a, as a pastor, it's like I planned this sermon series and then realized kind of late in the game what it was about. Sorry, <laughs> honesty. And I, and I go, God is teaching me to focus because too often, I don't. And so that's sort of what we're talking about today. And when you pray, focus in prayer is most difficult to maintain. And habits help. If, if I want to achieve any kind of goal, let's say that I want to run a marathon or I want to lose weight or I want to run for an office, I don't. If we want to do something, we say, what are the steps that I need in order to get there? What, what do I need to do to achieve, to move closer to that goal? And so if, if I want to be more focused in prayer, habits help. Now, I think there's kind of two things that stand in our way of effective prayer, and, and I'm boiling it down to what even me as a youth minister can understand. The, the first one is discouragement. Sometimes we get discouraged because we, air quotes, don't think prayer works. We, we've prayed and nothing happened. We prayed and my teeth still aren't white. We prayed and our kids don't, still don't behave. We prayed and this didn't happen or that didn't happen. We're discouraged. And, and Jennifer Dean wrote this in her blog, many believers are discouraged about prayer. Secretly, many have reached the conclusion that prayer doesn't work or that it only works sometimes. Promises in the Bible seem unreliable. The outcome is unpredictable. As a result, we have watered down or scaled back the Scripture's definitions of the power of prayer. Look at this last one. We expect less from God than He longs to give. We don't pray with power because we've taught ourselves. We're, we're like the, the animal that's been tethered to a post so long, we don't even try to break loose anymore. Our experiences have, have taught us that, that maybe I don't pray for outrageous things anymore. Maybe I don't uh, trust God for outrageous things anymore. Maybe I, I give God an out, if it be your will. After all, that's what Jesus prayed. 
And, and the Scripture is teaching us through, through I, I hope, this series that we are to pray in power. We are to pray with a full expectation that He hears us and He loves us and He will do what's best for us, even if it's not exactly what we had in mind. Now, the audience participation part of our show, how many of you have ever been distracted in prayer. So you're either raising your hand or not telling the truth. No, we all are, right? We say, okay, God, I'm going to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep, and there's a whole lot of things I'm thinking about. Does the battery and the smoke detector need to be replaced? And I, I wonder if I remember to turn the oven off, and did the microwave light blinking? And, and, and all of a sudden, we're in la-la land because our mind is never at rest, and we need something occasionally to help us focus. I confess, at times my prayer life is without commitment. Now, I know that that sounds a little harsh, but to say that I get distracted easily in prayer and to equate that that I lack commitment, I remember growing up, if I wanted something from my dad, I gave it my full attention to the ask. If my kids wanted my attention, they would grab my face or they would hang on my pant leg. They would keep saying whatever it was that was on their mind until they got my attention. They were committed to whatever it is. My son's 33. He's still committed. <laughs> when, there's, when there's something I need... If I'm a child, it is my instinct to keep asking, to, to hang on, to, to stay with it. As a matter of fact, the, the verse that we've been talking about, and when you pray and keep praying, and when you give and keep giving, when you fast and keep fasting, there is this sense that it is an ongoing process. So fasting, in its essence, is a spiritual habit. It's a, it's a practice that we engage in with God. It's a voluntary practice. It's not required in the Bible. Uh, uh, the, the three things that Jesus mentioned here in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6, th this is the only one of the three where there are not verses in the other part of Scripture that say it's required. It's required that we give. It's required that we pray according to Scripture, never says it's required that we fast. It's an expectation. It's a, it's, a, it's a practice that seemed to be very common. Like I said, in the Old Testament, there was lots of fasting. Uh, origins in the Old Testament, fasting sort of has a, a connection with grief. When, when somebody was grieving, they would do without food in their grief. Then it sort of uh, morphed in some other ways to asking God for direction, to repenting over sins, there, uh, to, to self-affliction, to, to tie in closer to God. There, there were lots of reasons for it. In the New Testament, it became a lot more of, a, uh, of an outward practice. The, the religious leaders in Jesus' time fasted twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Don't know why those days, but they did. 
And they fasted in a way that everyone could see them. They, they, they didn't bathe. They, they let their hair get kind of matted up and, and maybe even artificially, you know, bedhead induced. I, I don't know. But they, they wanted people to know how religious they were. So they outwardly presented that they were fasting. And that's kind of why Jesus said this. In this particular part of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brought up three things that sort of pointed at hypocrisy, people who say something and do something else. We talked about it a little bit last week when he said, and when you pray, and when you give. And, and, and in all three of those, he said, don't do like the hypocrites do. Don't, don't do like the mask wearers do. Don't, don't do like the people who are just pretending. And so he says, when you fast, don't look gloomy. Don't get right out of bed and come to work and, and not even rub the stuff out of your eyes and, and, and just try your best to look gloomy. Try your best to look like you're, I'm sacrificing so much for God. Some of them would even put stuff on their faces, ashes or, or, or dirt, but pretty much they just didn't bathe. They wanted everybody to know how religious they were. Every Monday and Thursday, this guy smelled bad because he just didn't bathe. And Jesus says, stop doing that. When you do anything that is a sort of a spiritual growth deal, it's between you and God. It, it even feels odd for me to talk about it. Because fasting is between you and God. Praying is between you and God. Giving is between you and God. But he says, let that be between you and God. Let, let that be something that you, that you focus on. And so he says, when you fast, anoint your head. Put oil on your head. It was like hair product. I, it, it's not a sacramental oil of any kind. He said, comb your hair. Wash your face. Put on your stuff. Nobody needs to know that you and God are having a moment today. No, nobody needs to know that you needed to get up extra early to pray because there's a lot on your mind. No, nobody needs to know that there is a reason, there is a purpose, there is a call in your life to fast. You just do it. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who's in secret will reward you. Probably ought to mention this. There was only, and I always said there's no requirement to fast. Actually, in the Old Testament, there was one. There was one time that everybody in Israel was supposed to fast. And it was on what's called the Day of Atonement. Today we call it Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the high priest, the, 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 the main preacher in the whole country, would take a, a sacrifice and offer it on behalf of the whole nation that the whole nation would be forgiven, would be healed, would be heard. Uh, they, they would often uh, uh, symbolically place the sins of the people on the back of a goat. And then they would set the goat loose in the wilderness, with a, uh, sometimes into a, a steep, craggy area to say, let the goat take the sins far, far away from us. That, that's why, where we get the term the scapegoat. 
Place the sins on the goat and get him far, far away. One time a year, all of the people in the land were supposed to fast so that they could be forgiven. Probably say this a couple of times, but it's just a moment with me. There is no required fast anymore because the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. There's no requirement for a day of atonement anymore. There is no fast necessary for God to hear us because he told us in Romans that he demonstrates his love for us and that while we are still sinners, while we are still in need of that forgiveness, Christ died for us. The Lamb of God took away the sins of the world. And so there is no requirement for fasting. There's no need to fast on the Day of Atonement. Atonement has been provided. Somebody said that atonement breaks down to at-one-ment, that we have been uh, forgiven because Jesus has died for our sins, past, present, and future. So if there's no requirement, what is this recommendation? Dallas Willard said, in fasting, we learn how to suffer happily as we feast on God. One person says, we do without something so that we can receive something much greater. And in the the Scriptures, there's there's some evidence that that, that it's not just food we're talking about. It's mainly food. Almost all of, of, of the references in the Scripture to fasting have to do with food. But today we often talk about uh, 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 doing without something, abstaining from something. As a, as a matter of fact, uh, next Tuesday is something, Judy, what is it? Mardi Gras, that's right, in New Orleans. And the day after Fat Tuesday is Ash Wednesday, which begins the 40-day period of Lent where we symbolically do without something in order to show God how serious we are. I, myself, will do without Brussels sprouts for Lent. (laughs) Some of you know where I'm coming from. It's not much of a sacrifice. I, I won't eat them anytime, let alone during Lent. And so, we, we do without something, but, it, but, but the New Testament word, it's self-denial. It's, it's doing without something for a reason. I don't know if you remember the name Samson from the Old Testament. Uh, several others took what was called the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow sort of expanded the, the abstention into some other areas besides just food, strong drink, don't touch any dead bodies. Don't cut your hair. It was, a, it was doing without something for a period of time. Most Nazarite vows were for a, a, a season, a duration. And, and so the Bible is, is full of, of illustrations where there is a time that we do without something. I love the way Robert said it a minute ago, that our money doesn't own us. Our food doesn't own us. Our social media doesn't own us. We will do without whatever it is for a season so that we can be more focused in our prayer. Over to uh, Old Testament verse Joel is a a prophet that, depending on who you read, he either wrote 
400 years before Christ or 800 years before Christ. There's no way to really uh, put a date on his prophecy, but whether it was 800 or 400 years before Christ, the scenario was pretty much the same. The country of Israel was in distress because they were under attack. If it's the early date, the 800 before Christ date, then, then they were under distress because the Assyrian army was marching against them. We talked about that a little bit last week. If it was the later date, then, then the country had been destroyed, Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed, and Ezra had brought the people back from uh, exile in order to begin rebuilding the country, and Joel prophesied maybe about that time. Either way, he was trying to say, God, we know we can't do this without you. And we also know that our attention has been diverted, our affection has been diverted, our obedience has been sketchy at best. My favorite definition of worship, that our heart's affection and our mind's attention are set fully on God. Our heart's affection, our mind's attention focused fully on God. And Joel led the people in prayer to acknowledge that that hadn't happened. He said, even now, the Lord said through Joel, if you'll return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, rend your hearts and not your garments. Don't tear your clothes. That's outward. Let your hearts be broken over the things that you have done or said or thought or served. Let your hearts be broken. Let there be an inward rending, tearing, not outward. Because the Lord says, return to the Lord. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. In Hebrew, the term that's used there for steadfast love is only used to describe God's love. Steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And then to me, the saddest verse in all of Joel's prophecy, he says, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Who knows? Maybe he will. Church, I'm glad I don't pray to that God. I'm glad I don't pray to a God that I don't know if he's going to hear my prayer. I don't know if he's going to answer me. I don't know if he has my best interest in mind. In the Hebrew mindset, if you did bad, you were punished. If you did good, you were blessed. And they knew they had done bad, badly. They, they knew they messed up, and, and they didn't have any right to ask for God's favor, and yet they did, and they said, perhaps he will hear us. Praise be to God. We have the new covenant. We know that we are heard. We know that he has our best interest in mind. We know that he has declared that God so loves the world that he gave his only son, stopped at nothing in order that we might not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 17, he he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him, Jesus, might be saved. We don't have to wonder if he will forgive us. We don't have to wonder if our repentance is heard, is acted upon. Who knows? It's a little sad to me. Well, let's talk about what this really means. 
Way over in the book of Esther in the Old Testament, one of the oldest books in the Bible, it has a lot to say to us about why we might fast in today's world, why we might do without something, why would we self-deny in order to have a more focused prayer time with God. When you fast, you fast for a season and for a reason. Look at what she did. The scenario was something like this. Esther was a Jewish woman who had somehow found favor, caught the eye of the Persian king, and the Persian king had brought her into his palace as his wife, and yet she was still a Jew, but apparently she had kept that a secret. And so one of uh, the king's uh, subordinates had convinced him that the Jewish people uh, were a threat, and, and he knew that Esther had his ear, and he knew that she was a Jew, but apparently the king was clueless. And so he somehow got the king to issue a decree that the Jews would be exterminated. There would be a day of genocide where all of the people of the Hebrew nation would be terminated. Who knows? Maybe the call to prayer was special. Mordecai, her uncle, said to her, don't think that because you're in the king's house that you are alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family, father's family will also perish. And who knows, maybe this is your assignment, that you've come to the royal position for such a time as this. Look at what she said. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. I get it. Go gather all of the Jews who were in Susa, the capital of Persia. Gather them all and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. Even though it is against the law, I might perish. She fasted or called for a fast for a duration, three days, and for a specific purpose, the deliverance of the nation. Uh, I don't know, I think about world events. I think about an invasion, an unjust uh, war being raged against innocent people. And I think perhaps we're called to fast. Perhaps we're called to pray. Perhaps we're called to intervene so that a disaster can be averted. Well, fasting is always in the Scripture most of the time, associated with a particular purpose. Why, why should we fast? What's the reason for the fast? Well, let me just give you sort of a list. Fasting was done in the Scripture at the beginning of an important task or ministry. Jesus fasted for 40 days before He began His earthly ministry. Elijah fasted for 40 days before He named a successor, Elisha. So, so we see evidence that fasting is done when a, an important ministry is done. Well, before a, a building project, before you launch a Bible study, before you reach out to neighbors, before a ministry project is done, fasting is a biblical response. Fasting was done when seeking specific clarity or direction from God. Daniel fasted as he was being carried into exile, as he was being taken to a foreign place. 
He fasted as to how the Lord wanted him to live as a prisoner. Lord, give me some clarity here. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 8, when he was blinded on the road to Damascus and he was trying to figure out what that was all about, he fasted for three days to seek what God was trying to tell him in that. When, when we know that there is a, a, a direction, clarity we want, uh, uh, Lord, to talk about buying a house or taking a new job or moving from this to that, if there's direction that's needed because of events that are unfolding and we're a little uncertain about what it is that we should do. When a, a project or a journey begins, Ezra fasted before he led the Jewish people back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild after the exile. He, he prayed for the journey. He prayed for the project. When repentant over sin, this is probably the most common use of fasting in all of the Bible. Uh, David famously repented in uh, chapter 51 of Psalms, Daniel, Ezra, Samuel, Joel. Sometimes they repented and fasted on behalf of a nation or on behalf of a group. David, of course, uh, fasted and, and repented over his own sin. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Renew a right spirit with me against you, and you alone have I sinned. And so there's this uh, repentance that, that's all too often, I, I need to do that. Something I've done again, something I've thought again, something I've said again, somebody I've hurt again. Lord, I, I repent, I, I come to you. When dealing with lifestyle addiction, this is really interesting. Isaiah in Isaiah 58 uh, there's a dialogue between the people and God, and the people ask God, hey, why have we fasted and you didn't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you didn't do anything about it? So there's this, this dialogue in, in the day, and then uh, John answers. He says, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You still oppress your workers. You don't change anything. You just want everybody to see that you're fasting, and you expect me to give you everything you want, Fasting like yours will not make your voice be heard on high. And then he says, this is what a real fast is. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Be free from that thing which holds on to you. A message that so many need to hear today. Be free of that. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free. God says this is why we fast. We press, we fast to be free from what it is that, that hangs on to us. And in the byproduct of that, we share our bread. We bring the homeless into our houses. We see needs and we cover those needs. We don't just take care of ourselves. We see fasting when declaring freedom from the world's expectation. Daniel, in his deportation, the, the Babylonians had a really brilliant strategy. They said, if we take everybody who's got anything going for them and try to turn them into one of us, then they were leaders in that country, now they'll be our leaders. They were bankers in that country, now they'll be our bankers. They were uh, generals and lieutenants in that country, now they'll be generals and lieutenants for us. And so they tried to change the identity. In Daniel's case, they wanted to change his name. They wanted to change his home. They wanted to change his family. They wanted to change his diet. 
And they said, here, come to the king's table. Eat all of the rich foods. Eat the, uh, the, all of the breads. Drink the wine. You can have all that you want. And Daniel's response was a little different kind of fast. He says, I'm good. God has told me the things I need to eat and, and not eat. And I'm going to hang on to those I want to maintain my identity. Daniel's name remained Daniel. We know him as Daniel. The, they, they, they tried to change his name to Belshazzar, and, and he says, no, I'm good. I, I'm going to hold on to the identity I have in my God. And then back to Esther, seeking protection from the evil of the world. In just a moment, I'll... I'll close our time and I'll join Robert in praying for the Ukraine. When evil triumphs or seems to triumph, we go before the Lord and, and in Esther's case, she called for a fast so that this evil could be averted. When we fast, when we pray, when we seek God through fasting, intentionally, authentically, secretly, and sincerely, he will be found. One of the things I read this week was absolutely interesting. It says, maybe we should stop calling it a fast and start calling it a slow. Because in fasting, things slow down. Time slows down. The time we might have spent preparing food or eating food, the time we might have spent online, the time we might have spent, all of a sudden time slows down because we have more of it, because we have stopped doing something that compelled us to do that. And I don't, eating, I'm a big fan of eating. Uh, but we abstain for a season so that and time seems to slow down. He will be found. It's almost counterintuitive. One of the first verses I memorized from Hebrews was, and I, and I put this in the New American Standard because that's the, the version I memorized it in. He says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be sorrowful, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, those who are trained up in it yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. There's a, a counterintuition about fasting that says, I do without food so that I can feast on the Word. I do without food so that I can pray, so that I can meditate. I do without food for a season, and maybe that's a meal. Maybe that's a day. Maybe that's a couple of days. That, that's between you and God. But to say, I'm going to redeem that time and let my fast become a slow. Jesus kind of understood this. In John chapter 4, the disciples kept urging him, eat something. He said, I, I, I need you to know my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish this work. When we have in our mind a purpose for a fast, when we have in our mind that God has called us to a type of prayer that's more focused, we focus in crisis, we focus when we make lists, we focus in solitude. If He has called us to focus through a fast, then we are more dialed in 
Our, our hunger reminds us that we don't have to get hangry. We just need to pray. We need to meditate. We need to think about what it is that we're fasting for. Three things. We identify the purpose of our fast. We plan for what we will do instead of eating. And then we do what we do. We, we don't need other people to see that we're hungry. We don't need to make a, a big deal of calling our friend and say, hey, what does Tuesday like, look like? Let's not do lunch. We don't need to do that. We, we identify the purpose. We plan on what we're going to do. And we do what we do. John Piper said, if you're without a purpose and a plan, it's not fasting, it's just going hungry. <laughs> I want to call you to a fast. So in the video um, that, that each of these weeks of this series have a, a feature or a challenge that goes with it. You've gotten an email about prayer and crisis each day this week. This week, I, I'd like for you to prayerfully consider going 24 hours without food sometime in the next 168 hours. Perhaps you take an evening meal and then don't take another meal until the next evening meal. Perhaps you just skip a meal. Uh, your fast is your fast. It's not for anybody else. But I want to challenge us as a church to say, let's try this. Let's, let's figure out this discipline that there. Uh, I printed out all of the verses in the Scripture that talk about fasting, and there were six pages of them in ten-point font. It must mean something to God. And so I, I want to challenge us as a church to fast. Maybe you fast for uh, clarity in how to pray or act in Ukraine. Maybe there's a challenge in your life that's standing in front of you. If you need something to fast about, there are a couple of initiatives that we're thinking about as a church. We're thinking about an adoption initiative that would provide grants for potential adoptive parents, and we're thinking about a scholarship initiative that would provide scholarship help for men and women who believe that God has called them to ministry and want to have further training. With those, those are things that are on the table. You want something to fast about? That's, that's a possibility. Fast about a, a ministry that you want to start, a, a Bible study in your neighborhood. Fast if you're, if you're thinking about your children, if you're thinking about your job and you need clarity, you need focus. Fast if you think your identity, junior high student, high school student, college student, you're being, you're being pushed towards an identity that you know is not what God would have you to be. I want to challenge all of us to consider a fast, to consider that we can do without for a season, for a little bit, with a particular purpose in mind, and then I, I, I'd love to hear your stories, but I don't need to, because your fast is your fast, it's between you and the Lord. It's also possible that you're thinking, this guy's nuts. Why would anybody do that? What kind of God would you fast for? And what I hope you hear every time we get together is that He is a great God. That He has sent His only Son, Jesus. And in Him we find a freedom 
a redemption that is so awesome that we can't help but try to figure out ways to hear Him and be heard by Him. And fasting is just one of those possibilities. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you don't have a relationship with this God we've been talking about, would you settle that today? Would you see one of our folks in green shirts or would you see one of our pastors we hang around? And would you say, I need to have a conversation about what it means to know a God that is so great that I might consider doing without for Him. I'd like to know that God. I'd like to, to have a God that's that worthy. Would you make sure that's settled today? Would you have a conversation with the people that are around you, with one of the pastors? He's worth it. He's worth it. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for this great challenge. God, it's a little weird to think about doing without, doing without food, praying and and coming to a place where we identify what it is that you would have us fast in order for focus. God, it's pretty radical to think that we would go against the grain. God, it's odd that the world seems to have discovered fasting and it's used for dieting and whatever else. But Father, you said thousands of years ago that as a way that we could focus on the things that matter and not focus on the things that don't. God, as Robert said, don't let food be our master. Don't let it control us. But let us hear a word from you because we've said yes. We've said yes to our focus being fully on you. God, we love you. We thank you that you are that great. In Jesus' name.